1: Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Believe in the Jaguars, right here on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, James Johnson, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire over on USA Today. Jay, we've got a brand new episode just stuffed with content for everybody. And we have also another guest, which we will uh, introduce here in just a moment. But Jay... Uh, It's already been a pretty eventful week so far. Uh, How you doing?
0: Yeah, man, still trying to recover from the Yan trade this weekend and then waking up Monday morning, first thing 7 a.m. to Leonard Fournette being waived, uh, who, uh, you know, we just got word is filing agreements against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I don't know if this is the case, but that may be an indication that uh, maybe he went unclaimed on waivers. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, We'll look more into that later. Uh, But, yeah, like you said, man, it's been a wild weekend so far. And uh, I'm still trying to recoup from it, to be honest with you. But, you know, once again, man, glad that we're back at it. Glad that we got our guest on, who you're going to announce in a minute. And, uh, yeah, man, appreciate all the support we've been getting from last month and uh, ready to try and hit a new high because it is the month of the NFL. The NFL is returning this month. So hopefully we can get up there in the stats again and, and hit a new high. Uh, just as we did last month.
1: Yeah, it's wild to believe that we are just a couple weeks away from football. Hopefully everything goes off without a hitch. That is our... Um, that is our hope for sure but uh, we're going to get into a couple of things here in just a moment but first i want to take the opportunity to introduce our guest he is coach nick triss from believe in the game plan we have had him on before and we're super happy to have him back again to go over some training camp stuff Uh, so nick first and foremost thank you so much for coming on and how are you how's the family we hope that you are you know safe and healthy
2: oh man everything's going really great um you know just riding out uh, the whole quarantine situation, and all that, just still, play, you know, being safe out here and everything. But uh, family's good, everybody's well. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys and uh, talk a little Jags football. You know, I know you guys have uh, know I started my own podcast on the Believe Network as well, uh, Believe in the Game Plan, and I talk about you guys all the time. You know, I pitch the network uh, in my opening almost every episode, and I I always include you guys as a great listen. Um, so hopefully, if you got, I hope you guys see a bump in traffic from that from uh, any Jags fans. I don't know how, I mean, there, there's probably a lot of crossover in my audience to you guys' audience. You know, it's uh, mostly a podcast about coaching ball. Um, you know, really, it's probably good for educators too, just anybody who works with kids. You know, I have, it's an interview just like this, um, but I have different coaches on every week from all over the country. So if anybody out there in your audience is interested in that type of thing, definitely give me a listen. It's a Believe in a Game Plan. Uh, we're going, this is almost like two and a half months now. So been rolling so far and so far, so good, man. That's really been. The main thing I've been working on at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you you brought that up because it is good for not just people that are interested in not only coaching, but also they might take away some lessons in terms of just um, interacting with their kids and stuff like that. So that's a re- really, really good opportunity to go check that out. You can find both of our shows, of course, pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary and tune in. Make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and give both of our shows a five-star review and also leave us a, a little message there if you'd like. We really, really enjoy those. Both shows of course are at believe.com and at believe podcast. And you can tweet the show at believe in Jags Pod. Yo, does somebody say playoffs? The NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing right now, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Sports betting is something I wanted to slowly ease myself into and Bet Online has made it really easy to do that. But not only do they cover sports, they cover esports, too. I'm talking like Overwatch tournaments, Rocket League, things like that. Jay and I are both huge gamers over here at Believe in the Jaguars, and the fact that they have eSports on here is really cool. So make sure you take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Let's get into uh, some some stuff we heard just here recently, you guys. And that's coming from the AP's Mark Long in regards to Leonard Fournette's release. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here in terms of uh, his interview that was over on 1010XL. You can find that tweet. Uh, I did tweet it right uh, directly from my Twitter account. Um, he said, I think my belief players got tired of Leonard Fournette. Some players in that locker room went to the powers that be and said we want him gone. And when the coaching staff already wanted him gone and the front office already tried to get rid of him, and now the players come and go, we want him out. He's not on board with what we're trying to do, what we're able to do this season. I think that's when you pull the trigger. Now, do want to make it clear here that uh, these are just rumblings that Marcus has heard and uh, now, is now making public? So, guys, I'll, I'll let you go first. Jay, I want to hear your thoughts here first. Uh, what do you make of some of those comments coming from Mark Long? I think we mentioned in the episode we dropped earlier in the week, we would not be surprised if something along these lines came out as this story kind of progresses and, and continues to form.
0: Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking, Phil, what you said yesterday. Um, I think you said it was Austin Lane who said, it. you know, it wouldn't be shocking that, you know, if something came out later now. Uh, like Phil said, these are just rumblings and speculations, and and so on and so forth. And one thing I do want to stress here is that of the whole media realm in Jacksonville, you know, me and me, me and Phil cover the team from a distance, but you know, Mark is the only one that's come out to say this stuff. So that's not to say he's right or wrong, but you know, that's something you know, as journalists that we consider here is uh, you, you consider how many people are saying this, that, and the other. Like you know, when when news breaks. The first thing I don't, I can't speak for Phil and Nick, but the first thing that I do when NFL news breaks, NFL insider news breaks, when I see Adam Schefter break something, I check and see if Ian Rappaport also is echoing it. And then I also check to see if Tom Pellicero is echoing it and so on and so forth. So this is something that, you know, it's just worth noting that one person has said. And, you know, in the past, if you go back and look at, I think it was last year on ESPN 690, uh, Mark Long was on there and he said, some of this similar stuff that the coaching staff was growing tired of Lennon Fournette, uh, that the players were growing tired of him, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I don't know if this is something, you know, we could really run with right now. But, you know, like like Phil said, and like me, and, uh, you know, people in the past have said, like Austin has said, you know, it, it's definitely, I guess the way I could put it is This kind of falls in line with, you know, what we've kind of thought that it was, you know, more than performance based and it was more than the scheme. You know, that's how Doug Marone put it. He basically said, you know, we got guys in the locker room that we feel like, you know, we could spread the ball amongst and we could do this kind of thing, like by a committee approach, if you will. Which I mean, that's I could believe that, too. You know, I could I could definitely believe that they like who. They have in the locker room because uh, you know that's something that Pete Prisco has echoed. By the way, I don't know if y'all listen to a lot of Pete Prisco stuff, but Pete Prisco is a guy that I I do really value his opinion because he was in that locker room long before you know when when me and Phil and Nick were kids. Basically, he was there during the Tom Coughlin era. He knows every scout in there pretty much. He knows the ins and outs of that facility. Uh, he was with the Florida Times Union at the time. He's now with CBS Sports now, but. You know, he he was there in the beginning stages of that that organization, and he's kept tabs with them. And, you know, he said they really like James Robinson, somebody we spoke on uh, who uh, I think we spoke on with Daniel Jeremiah uh, about, you know, how they got him. You know, that's somebody they high on um, based off of what they saw out of him, even though he went undrafted. They like Chris Thompson, which me and Phil, we alluded to that. Uh, that makes sense because Chris Thompson was in this offense with Jay Gruden last year and, and years before that. And, uh, you know, they probably like what they got out of Ryquil Armstead, this, that, and the other. But in terms of this whole thing with with Mark Long and what he said, again, like, I'm just curious to see before I even really go there, how many other people come out. But, again, I I wouldn't be shocked if that's the reasoning behind it, too, that some players did go to whoever, you know, Shaq Khan or Dave Caldwell and say, hey, let's get him out of here. One last thing I, I do want to touch on is, you know, Mark went into details about, you know, some players did go to, uh, Caldwell or Marone or maybe Shot Con or maybe Tony Con. Somebody they went to somebody the one of the higher ups, uh. But look, there's also proof. What while you know maybe that was the case that some players complained about Fournette. There's also a case you can make that players liked him in that locker room as well. We saw it in the uh, March. You know, he had plenty of people by his side. It was uh Ronnie Harrison. Rock Armstead was there Chris Conley so you know you would think like he had you know he does have backers in that locker room as well uh I guess the question is to like is the locker room type is one of those deals where they're split on Leonard Fournette and is that what Mark Long is saying here is like some people like him and some people don't and you know and and what is it that those players don't like him for is it the kind of thing I mentioned yesterday which you know like I said with the with the IG live thing where they were at practice, uh, you know they were on. I think it was maintenance day for Fournette, but those kind of things and the kind of things you know fighting Shaq Lawson, who uh, Nick is very familiar with as a Clemson fan, and and you know all of the other things that came before the little incidents, the run-ins with Tom Coughlin and so on and so forth. You know, are those the things that have eluded or, or uh, basically boiled over to make some of the players not like him in that locker room?
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up as far as having backers in the locker room because Chris Thompson even talked about earlier in camp about getting to know you know the quote real Leonard Fournette because I think there was a perception about him. Uh, so Nick, I want to pass it over to you because we haven't heard your thoughts about this. We talked to him about a little bit about it before we got started, uh, but first, want to get your thoughts on the just the them hit, waving him all together, but then also get into what you think about some of these comments from Mark Long.
2: Um, you know, I mean. The first thing I'll say is one of these days I'm going to come on this podcast and we're going to have some good, exciting, fun Jaguars news to cover. Um, it seems like it's always despair around these parts when I come on the podcast. I think I was on one when it wasn't too long after you guys got rid of Jalen Ramsey um, and just so on and so forth. But thus his life as a Jags fan, I guess. You know, So I, I'm not here to make any accusations. You know, I don't know Leonard Fournette. I don't know that locker room situation. Um, I'll just speak on what I do know, and that is – Um, You know, if there was locker room problems, if there are, and we, of course, like you said, he does have a little bit of a track record, even dating back to his time at LSU, uh, you know, kind of not maybe being the best team chemistry guy, you know, always been a little, that's been kind of the knock on him since, since those days. Um, But like I said, I don't know the guy, so I'm not here to offer a judgment on that. But if if that is the case, you know, I can just speak from an organizational standpoint. I mean, when a guy becomes a cancer in a locker room, again, not saying Leonard Fournette had or is. But if that is a case, um, get, the only thing to do is to cut it out. That thing will spread in the locker room. It will divide locker rooms, and that stuff is so important. And in a league like the NFL, where the margin of error and the difference between four and twelve and twelve and four is is razor thin as it is in any professional sport, um, you know those things really, really do matter. So I guess the positive spin I could put onto it is, you know, maybe with some of these guys who Jacksonville has lost, everybody's seen all the memes and stuff about. You know, how many guys from that uh, AFC championship team now aren't there, and, and you know, or the track record of the draft or whatever. But the positive could be, you know, if you're getting rid of guys who didn't vibe and weren't helping create the culture that you won't need to be successful, which I think is the number one thing that separates good organizations from bad ones uh, in pro sports uh, or any form of athletics, really, it's the culture of your organization. Um, so if, if, if that can turn around, if you can start to turn the culture around with some of these young guys. You know, maybe you take a hit in talent, but you, you make up for it uh in culture. Maybe that pays
0: uh dividends down the road. Yeah, real quick, Phil, before you chime in. Yeah, that see, that's why we have Nick on is because you know he has a coaching podcast. He he can bring that perspective from a coaching perspective and a culture perspective. And I'm glad he, he mentioned that. That's that's absolutely right. You know, you can you know you can win an extra game off culture sometimes, you know, in the NFL or what have you. So maybe you know, like it's a case of you know we all heard the stuff in the past maybe it was a case of and again that's like Nick said I'm not saying Leonard Fournette was or isn't a cancer to that locker room we don't know quite frankly but if he was it feels like the Jaguars are basically in this stage where they're trying to clear out the last stages of uh you know those guys that were problems in their locker room you know Jalen's gone um and you know other guys that went with Jalen and even before, not to say Calais, of course, Calais wasn't one of those guys or like AJ Boye, but they they've seen to be but Dante. And- right, right. Dante is
1: gone um Jan, of course, now gone. So
0: right, right. Those guys that, you know, in some degree caused some friction in the locker room, whatever the case may be. So like Phil said, you know, the list of you know Fowler and you know and Gakwe who uh you know kind of got into it with Fowler and, and other teammates, so we hear or um you know so has been said. But you know, maybe this is just them simply getting out the last of those guys. And they finally, like, can take that deep breath and say, like, now we have a distraction-free locker room. Regardless of what the record is, we don't have to worry about the culture of this team, and we don't have to worry about what's going on in that locker room. And, you know, that that takes a lot of pressure off of you as a GM, regardless of what happens. If Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone are fired after this, at least they can go into 2020. And say we got this locker room the way we want it, and let the chips fall where they may.
1: Yeah, it's you know just crazy to see where we are now. But I, just like you said, Jay, I, I definitely think they're just going for this complete overhaul of the entire locker room. And now uh, that some, you know, some of these or most of these guys are now gone, they're going to be looking to uh, the youth movement, whether it be Minshew, DJ, Shark. Uh, Josh Allen, Caleb on C.J. Henderson. Of course, I mean, I think we've already talked about this before. I think the selection of C.J. Henderson and being just polar opposite from the personality type that was a Jalen Ramsey. I think kind of tells you all that you n- need to know. So, um, of course, I, you know, we're we're recording this here on a Tuesday. Um, by the time the episode comes out, maybe something else will have uh, come out uh, as far as what happened there. But um, and, and t- until then, you know, make sure you you keep up with the show and and, and of course on um, the Jaguars wire and we'll bring all that information to you as soon as it breaks. Um, but we want to get into some actual football here guys, because of course training camp has been going on and uh, I'm going to slip into the, a little bit of a moderator role, but also a fan role because I just want to hear you guys talk about this um, as far as, you know, some training camp stands out. We're going to start on the offensive side, specifically with the wide receivers. Um, of course I have made it very clear how excited I, I was that the team took Colin Johnson, of course, as a Texas fan, but I'm also very excited for LaVisca Chenault. So Nick, I want to hear you first in terms of the wide receiver group, who you think has been a standout And in, in the little bit of film that I watched as far as LaVisca from last year. I definitely feel like he's a lot faster than, you know, his 40 time and Jay, you made the comment that you believe he was injured at the combine and I feel like he plays a lot faster when I look at the tape. So talk about who's been a standout for you from that receiver group. Nick, I'll, I'll let you go first.
2: Yeah, so, you know, as far as the reports of how they performed in camp, I'm I'm obviously leaning on you guys for that. We discussed it kind of off the air, and you guys told me who the bright spots have been reported to be. Um, All I can go is based off, you know, what I evaluated before the draft and after they were picked. You know, what I like about that position is I think you have uh, guys who complement each other well. I think you have some guys who do some different things well. Uh, Chenault, as you said, he's uh, an explosive run-after-the-catch type guy. Um, Very good route runner, quick in and out of his breaks. And like I said, just an explosive playmaker when he gets the ball in his hands can make things happen for you. Um, and then you complement him with a guy like Colin Johnson, who's more of a physical specimen. I mean, he's huge. He looks more like a tight end than he does a receiver. So he offers, and while he doesn't have that freakish, quick twitch athleticism, maybe that Chenault does, um, you know, he he's a matchup problem in the red zone. Um, you can't teach 6'6". Six, six. Um, he's always going to be a matchup problem with with shorter corners. And, you know, his, his ceiling is really going to be determined on his ability to create separation at the next level as you guys have known especially with some great jaguars receivers even uh steve smith keenan mccardell those weren't guys who were electric speed guys but found ways to get open and and knew how to run routes and understood timing uh and being in rhythm with a quarterback um, so just because he's not a freak athlete as far as 40 time and stuff like that is concerned uh, he can definitely improve a lot as far as uh, creating separation so i think that'll be where his ceilings really determined and i'm excited to see I believe when we were on, when I was on talking about the the Jags uh, draft class recap the last time I was on with you guys, I said uh, he was probably the one I was most intrigued by as far as your picks, just to see how they use him because, you know, me as an offensive coordinator, um, I see a guy like that and my, my eyes get big. I'm going to think about all, like I said, the things I touched on, mismatches and uh, problems you can put defenses in with a guy like that. Uh, even being physical with uh, DBs who don't like to tackle, you know, in the screen game. Uh, I'd like to have, you know, the idea of having Colin Johnson on the outside and Chanel in the slot on just something as simple as a bubble screen is good because you got a big body out there to block uh, for a guy who I said is electric after he touches it. Um, and that's, of course, the compliment. Those are the two new guys. And, of course, they complement a younger guy, but a guy who's returning, and that's DJ Chark. Really excited about him. Uh, I think he was one of the best big play receivers in the game last year, uh, coming off a, a stellar year. So we'll see him and Minshew uh, how their relationship has grown and how they, uh, you know, chemistry and all that stuff is really people talk about it all the time. It may not be super exciting, but it's very, very important to the passing game, especially. And Minshew obviously playing at a place like Washington State with Mike Leach is a guy who understands that. So I'd expect to see those things improve. Um, and I think that's of all the positions and things to be
0: excited about for the Jacks. I think the wide receiver position is, is probably number one on the list. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, I guess I'll start with Colin Johnson because he's been the most recent star of the whole equation. Uh, they say he had a good scrimmage on Saturday. Um, he missed his last, I think it hit him in the hands, or it might be a, been a little overthrown. But the last pass of the scrimmage, I believe they said it was, he missed that one. And he actually talked about that in his presser afterwards. He's like, man, I wish I would have caught that, or you know, whatever the case may be. But he had a good scrimmage from everything that's been said. He was having good practices before that. Uh, just get a lot of his stuff was just highlight real type of catches and practices, these one handed things. And he actually talked about that in his press conference too. Like, you know, as a kid, like he just tried a lot of acrobatic stuff. So I guess that kind of, you know, shows you his athletic ability. If he's reflecting back on his time as a kid, you know, this guy's a, you know, not your average athlete. Like, like Nick said, he doesn't necessarily separate all that well. And you can even see that in the practice clips, you know, that, the limited practice clips that we have seen you can see that he doesn't necessarily separate well but you know like kind of credit to what Nick said Gardner Minshew a plan for Mike Leach has also learned how to utilize long bodies as well and, and put the ball perfectly where it needs to be and I think that's a lot of what's been happening with Colin Johnson in practice is while he can't separate well that placement that Minshew has given him has allowed him to flourish. And, you know, like you can kind of mask those flaws, if you will. And, you know, Doug Marone even went as far as comparing him to Marcus Colston when uh, they drafted him, basically. You know, Doug Marone basically said, like, look, when I was in New Orleans and we won the Super Bowl, I think they won the Super Bowl when he was there, you know, I was looking at this draft and looking for that Marcus Colston type of figure for my office because, you know, we already got your speed, guy. We got D.D. Westbrook. We got DJ Chart that can run 4-3 speed, that can take the top off of the coverage. We need that guy that can do the dirty work, and that's what we're seeing. You know, Colin Johnson is a guy that can do that dirty work. My concern with Colin is I want to see what he can do, and we'll see in two weeks or so what he can do against unfamiliar competition and unfamiliar cornerbacks that aren't Trey Herndon, that aren't. Uh, C.J. Henderson who are both of those are young players and C.J. Henderson himself is a rookie so you know like I don't want to use this so much as a barometer right now Uh, I don't want to pass that judgment right now I don't I guess the the correct term is I don't want to jump the gun on him but I am very excited about him but I want to see what Colin Johnson does against some of these other cornerbacks on other teams because, as we all know, they haven't had a preseason to allow us to see that, basically. So, you know, you can get familiar with these defensive backs, and not only that, like I said, we're not sure if the defensive backs on this team are any good either. So that's all I'm saying is that's worth noting and uh worth mentioning. LaVisca, I guess where I kind of disagree with Nick is the route-running ability. I don't think – I don't I want to say he's a bad route-runner, but that's where he does need to improve. And, you know, I think that's where – Keenan McCardell is working with these guys, him and Colin Johnson. You can tell like the emphasis they've put on uh, at least Keenan McCardell has put on route running because now, you know, you see these. It was one clip where I saw Colin Johnson. You can tell they've been doing the and I know Nick know of this drill, the tennis ball drill for receivers uh, to help them, you know, get low into their cuts and come out of their cuts low. Uh, You can tell they definitely been doing some kind of tennis ball drills or whatever the case may be to get these guys to go into their cut low because it's just, it's just visible. And I think over time, Kingdom Cardell is going to get both of these receivers right. And I believe that, you know, they are in good hands. And I do have faith that, you know, they'll fulfill their upside with him. And LaVisca is a guy like, like Nick said, run after the catch type of guy, a guy that doesn't go down after the first tackle, so on and so forth. And, you know, he's kind of been showing that, you know, a guy that they'll probably use for the short route type of stuff, if you will. And, uh, you know, he can help Gardner Minshew in that aspect, especially with Leonard Fournette being gone. That was kind of his thing, Leonard Fournette in this offense or Leonard Fournette for the team in general. People forget Leonard Fournette had 500 yards as a receiver. He was a short threat. He was like, I think he was fifth in the league in receiving in terms of running backs. So he he was a short game threat for Gardner Minshew. And LaVisca Chenault can help, you know, kind of, Make up for that loss, and then of course DJ Chark. Everybody knows how I feel about him. I'm ranting on him about for for episodes, basically. But you know, arguably top three deep in football, and I'm not even saying that because I'm a Jaguars fan. But this the analytics that PFF continually throws out there shows it, and you know he's a guy I expect to do. Uh, put up better numbers than he did last year. And he's a guy with these two gentlemen next to him, these two big threats that he never had before. And maybe Tyler Eifert, if he could stay healthy, DJ Chark is going to light the league on fire and the Jaguars might suck this season. They might not even get three wins, but one thing about it, I do believe DJ Chark is going to come from this season as a close to elite receiver or one of the top five to 10 receivers in this league because people view him more so as a top 15 guy right now. So he's only going to get better. And, you know, he's a guy that Jay Gruden loves. Jay Gruden has said he's going to move around on this offense. That's going to help him, you know, and help people not key in on him. So, you know, the sky's the limit for him, especially with Jay Gruden and how Gardner Minshew utilizes him. So, you know, that's where I'm at with those guys in training camp or coming out of training camp. They all have fared well. That was the best group of training camp without a shadow of a doubt. And that is the bright spot of this team. While we might, you know, have a lot of flaws elsewhere, one thing we can't complain about coming out of training camp is what the receivers have done. I do want to point out a tweet coming
1: uh, coming from Brent Martineau a couple of days ago here, guys. Uh, he, he stated that if there was an all-pro training camp team, Colin Johnson would be on it. So uh, I just want to point that out. Uh, of course, my guy, really excited to see what he can do. So just to and, and Jay, maybe you'll know this better than, than Nick. I mean, of course, you always hear that old anecdote. There's only one football. I mean, with this, all these talented guys in the locker room, you know, on the on the wide receiver squad, who's the odd man out here? Is it Chris Conley? Is it Keelan Cole? Is it Didi
0: Westbrook? I mean, there's only one one football for Minshew to sling out there. Okay, so I, I would ask this: Are you saying who's the odd man out in terms of who makes the roster? Who are the six to five receivers that make the roster? Or Who is the odd man out statistically?
1: Yeah, statistically. Yeah, because I think they all – I think they carry six probably, right?
0: Yeah, I think they carry six um, unless they trade somebody because they need defensive line help. And it's a, like wide receivers a strength where they can help themselves with the defensive line via trade. But I think they carry six. And, I mean, while I'm at it, I'll say Chart, LaVisca, Colin Johnson, Keelan Cole, who we didn't even talk about. He look, He's looked great in um, training camp. D.D. Uh, Westbrook, and I'm missing one. Is it Chart? That I'm missing, so that's that's six right there. So Chart, Lavisca, Johnson, DD Westbrook, Conley. It was Conley, Conley, and Keelan Cole. So we're looking at six there now. In terms of the statistics, I don't think it is DJ Chart that takes a hit in statistics because that's Gardner Minshew's favorite target. And like sometimes, you know, like you you can kind of see it on film. Like when Gardner Minshew couldn't hit uh, DJ Chart, he struggled. So, DJ Chark is obviously vital to his success in some way, shape, or form. Uh, So, that being said, I think who probably takes the hit would probably be Conley of these guys, Uh, maybe Westbrook. But, like Nick said, really, you don't care. It doesn't matter because they complement each other all so well that they're they're this full-fledged group, this complete group that could take the league by storm and you know if they get it done as a committee approach you you won't even care that chris conley took a hit in stats you won't even care that dd westbrook took a hit in stats or whatever the case may be but i don't i definitely don't think it's going to be dj chart yeah i think dj is
1: definitely safe in, in terms of that group uh, very, uh, again just like you guys said very excited to see what they can do as a tandem and of course helping out Minshew and helping us uh, as a fan base and also of course the coaching staff trying to figure out if he's the guy or not but let's get into the defensive side of the football. You guys, we'll start with Joe Schobert, who of course was a big name acquisition even though some fan, some people in the fan base seem to be writing it off I think for all of the wrong reasons. So, Nick, for for the sake of our fans and also for myself, you know, educate us a little bit on uh, what Joe Schobert does really really well and why the fan base should be excited about him.
2: Well, the the last group of guys you had me talk about, you know, there were a bunch of youngsters in that group, but this is a little bit more of a veteran presence. So he obviously comes from Cleveland. Uh, he was, you know, he's been there for four years. So it looks like he started for three of them. He's a guy that's been top 10 in the league and tackles a couple of times. Um, so he's played a lot of football. You know, he's, uh, I, me and James were talking a little before off the air, and I believe, I think the best thing that he, he helps the Jags with is he can play that Mike Linebacker position and uh, free Miles Jack up to, to kick back outside where I think he's much better suited. Um, so I think that's key. Uh, I think, ha- like I said, having a guy who's been around, who's been uh, – it's another guy, a chemistry guy, a locker room guy. You know, all reports is he was a bel- beloved teammate in Cleveland. Um, you know, a leader for that defense who played well at times, obviously struggled at times as well. But, you know, he, he was always coaching up young guys as, uh, in Cleveland too. So uh, definitely a guy that I think is going to have a lot of upside for the Jags, you know, outside of just production. I mean, he's he'll probably lead the team in tackles. But like I said, I think his presence and what he does to the locker room might be his biggest benefit too. I'm really excited to see him uh, kind of mentor Shaquille Quarterman, who's a Jags draft pick. I'm really excited about that guy's a, a, a first, first and second down terror in the run game. Um, he's really, you know, physical, physical presence. When everybody these days is trying to get smaller and more skilled at linebacker to cover more pass, he's kind of an old school uh smack you in the mouth on first and second down type run uh, linebacker. And uh Sher- Sherbert will definitely help with his maturation, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I, I agree about that. That that does help a uh, young Shaquille quarterman. And like Nick said, it most definitely helps Miles Jack, where we see Miles Jack flourish at a, at outside linebacker. You go back no Uh, sooner than or no later than 2017. You know, Miles Jack is out there getting picks on Ben Roethlisberger in the playoffs because he's in space and playing where he's comfortable, uh, as opposed to a spot where, you know, you can see there was some uncertainty with him and some second guessing and, you know, uh, some struggles there. You know, Joe Showbert is somebody who's more certain and sure at that spot, and that's what you need at the middle linebacker spot. Uh, You know, Joe Showbert is also somebody that, you know, in, in training camp has looked good, and I, he even picked off Minshew one time. He may have more than one pick, but I know he picked off Minshew at the scrimmage. Uh, you know, that's another thing he did. He did real well at Cleveland too. Is he? He
2: forced a lot of turnovers. He, you know, he was uh, he was high up there in the linebacker rankings for force fumbles and and, and uh, interceptions the last couple of years. So he's a guy that seems to have a nose for
0: football as well. That's something I meant to touch on
2: in my answer as well.
0: Right, right, yeah. That's and that's me and Phil have talked about that too. Nick uh, is, you know, he offers them better coverage in that aspect of the game is, is in the coverage aspect of it. While I think like the best way I summed it up in the past is while this is not Bobby Wagner type of speed you're dealing with in coverage. uh, He's much faster than Paul Puzzlesney. And, you know, he's much more sure at middle linebacker than uh Miles Jack. So when you combine those two things together, you get, you know, you get a better coverage aspect in the middle of the field. And I think, you know, Joe Schobert is going to help them there. So again, like, you know, folks, don't go out there expecting Bobby Wagner, but they expect a lot of improved play at the middle linebacker position, linebacker in general. Because while we just said that uh, wide receiver is the best position on this team in terms of what we saw in training camp, linebacker shouldn't be far off. You know, again, like this is not a team that we're, we're saying is going to win a lot of games or going to make a lot of people happy. But when you look at where they are strong at, linebacker is one of them. You have Cassius Marsh, who is playing defensive end as well. He's, you know, been arguably the second best pass rusher of of the whole training camp process. They got Kalevon Chasing, who's going to play some strong side linebacker and put his hand in the dirt, too. So you add that with, uh, like, what Nick said, and, and Joe Schobert is there to mold those guys and lead them. You know, I think that's a perfect uh, scenario for whatever happens in the season, regardless of the 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 record or whatever the case may be the linebackers are going to come out of this thing better and joe Shobert is going to be a key reason because of that
1: yeah 100 this i'm so excited about this this signing and not for just the reasons you guys mentioned in terms of getting miles jack more comfortable and, and, and in a spot where he needs to be uh, but yeah i had an opportunity to go on a, a cleveland brown show dogs my nature a show called straight no chaser and they had an opportunity to to talk about, you know, Joe Schobert and uh, it sounds like they still love the guy over there. So I'm really excited for him to uh, uh, to make a big impact. Would I would not be surprised if we saw a big statistical year from him. I don't know if he's going to make the Pro Bowl again or anything like that, but he's definitely going to make his presence known. Um, but Jay, you touched on a little bit about pass rusher, so we of course want to talk about the guy who is the guy now. Now that Unique Ngakwe is gone, and who has really seemed to take everything that he learned from Calais Campbell last year and is now applying that to mentoring Caleb on chase and which is, of course, Josh Allen. So uh, Nick, you know, of course, we, we know what kind of year Josh Allen had. We over here, a lot of Jaguar fans believe that, you know, he had a, a year conducive, of at least being in the running for a defensive rookie of the year. That didn't seem to be the case. Uh, but Josh Allen, talk a little bit about him and, you know, why, why, of course, we should continue to expect great things from him.
2: Um, I'm, I'm super high on Josh, Josh Allen. He's one of my favorite college players of all time to watch. I loved his film in Kentucky. He's a menace, uh, relentless motor. Um, just seems like, and, you know, again, this is conjecture and just assuming because I don't know the guy, but just seems like everything you want uh, in, a, in a kid as well, you know, and a guy. Um, works hard, brings it every day, lunch pail mentality. Um, freakish, freakish athleticism. You know, he's a problem beating you with speed or he can beat you with power. You know, this is year, what, this will be his third year in the league, second year in the league, second year in the league. Um, so, you know, you'll just see him get better and better, uh, improving his technique, playing with hands. He'll, like I said, he'll, he'll improve his fundamentals. Uh, the Jags have, even throughout their history, have always had good defensive line play. Um, that's one thing that's kind of been synonymous with the with the franchise. So I think he's the next guy in that lineage. You know, one of the most intriguing and, uh, uh, you know, one of the highest potential upside guys in the league at the edge rush position. So the sky's the limit for him, like you said. We'll see how he adjusts. You know, one thing that will be different for him from a scheme standpoint this year is, like you said, he won't have Yannick uh, beside him or, you know, at the other end. Um, He won't have Calais Campbell anymore. um, So teams can kind of game plan to take him away. Um, But if you're going to be a top-tier elite pass rusher in this league, that's something you got to deal with and, you know, overcome and still execute in spite of. You know all, all those guys, Cleo, Mac, all of them, they get the game plan is spent to to take those guys out of it, but they still you know produce. So if Josh Allen wants to get into that category, you know he'll he'll have definitely it'll take some adjustment. So maybe my words of advice to Jags fans would be you know don't don't measure this whole season in terms of production, especially at a defensive end position. Um, sometimes you know everybody wants to just look at those sack numbers, which are great, and you know obviously they get the guys paid and stuff and that's their primary job is putting pressure on the pass rusher. But there's a lot of things, especially in team defense, that 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 go unseen maybe by the casual eye, uh, especially guys up front. So don't really necessarily just turn to production this year. Like I said, it will definitely be an adjustment early. Um, he dealt with it at Kentucky, though. You know, obviously, team's game plan to take him away as junior and senior years at Kentucky. So he's seen double teams. He's seen everything you can throw at him. Um, but he'll just see that now with better quality players, obviously, in the NFL. You know, I think uh, – one thing he does have to improve on too is just his ability and, and rundowns. That's another part of the puzzle. Um, it's not all about stacking the quarterback. He's got to be good first and second downs too in the run game, which is all about discipline and staying home, um, especially as you see, you know, playing that in position in the NFL now, as we see more and more scamb- scrambling quarterbacks have success or dual threat guys, guys that can hurt you with the zone read option type system. Um, you know, you're getting read a lot of times, so you have to play your technique and play whatever your assignment is and make sure you're pay- playing responsibility-based football. Um, so that's that's an area he can improve on as well. And, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn here, but before the Jags draft, you guys had me on, and uh, I think I, I spent a lot of that time talking about how I think the biggest thing they should address this offseason was their uh, rush defense because it was, you know, bottom, bottom third of the league, and they did. I mean, you could see the proofs in the pudding. Uh, the kid from Ohio State, the defensive tackle they drafted uh, in the second round, obviously was a pick they spent on that. Uh, Sherbert as a, a move I think they made to shore up the run game. You know, a, a bunch of moves they've made this offseason um, have gone to addressing that. Because, I mean, especially in this league and in, especially in your division um, where teams are running the football a lot too, Colts and and, and the Titans especially run the football a lot, uh, you got to be able to stop that rushing attack um, or it'll be a really, really long season, so. I think that will be another area uh, for the football team that's improved this year.
1: Well, Nick, I, I, and Jay, just really quick. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we had a an episode maybe a, a month or so ago where uh, Jay, I, and also my other co-host for my other show, The Way Forward Podcast, we did a uh, 2020 Hot Takes episode, and Jay had, uh, had made it so that uh, Josh Allen, he had predicted Josh Allen – will be in the top 3 in sacks in this in the league if i if i remember correctly jay uh so he is going to be paying very much attention to those statistics sorry to point sorry to point that out jay
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i was just about to address uh something that had to do with that you know like it that might not happen now because you know as nick alluded to they spent a lot of resources in the shoring up against the run the problem is since I made that prediction, they lost Al Woods and Rodney Gunter, who were going to be two run-stopping forces that were going to take the pressure off of him. You know, Al Woods, obviously he opted out because of the coronavirus concerns. Um, I don't think nobody could blame him for that. And Rodney Gunter, he's, uh, you know, he's retiring from the league because he has a heart condition. Nobody can blame him for that as well. Uh, So those are two guys that they got in, you know, free agency that were going to be arguably starters and not only that, but just great run supporters. So now they no longer have those guys and that's concerning. And you are right. And now they definitely can key on Josh Allen, uh, who I guess, you know, that's, that's who I get into next. But before I do that, uh, another name, Nick mentioned that could definitely help him. Devon Hamilton, the third round pick from Ohio state. You are absolutely right. Devon Hamilton is having a good training camp. Arguably. I mean, I know he's been playing a lot of the backup guys, but nobody from what I've heard, from what I heard or seen has been able to stop him. And I think that is you could attribute that to Devon Hamilton, ain't your average 6'4", 320 hundred and twenty-pound guy. He's got some athletic ability. Uh if you look at him on film, it was times where, you know, he he somewhat looked like a three technique more than the nose tackle on film. And it was like, dude, that dude got back there a little too fast. Uh he swim moved that guard or that that uh that that center a little too fast for my liking you know what I'm saying like if you're if you're the opposing team that is but yeah that Devon Hamilton is sneaky good and I think he he might end up starting at this point but we'll see I mean he's got to beat out a veteran in Avery Jones who's been in the league for what six seven years something like that, that that's not going to be easy to do but Devon Hamilton is if we're talking about the key guy that's going to take the pressure off of uh Josh Allen Devon Hamilton might be that guy in terms of Josh Allen yeah like you said you can see there has been certain elements of his game like Nick said that when you're you in your second year you improve on you can tell he spent a lot of time in the offseason working on the intangibles um working on the fundamentals he also added weight so that going back to what Nick said that can help him obviously he felt like he needed to get better against the run too when you add weight you know and it, especially when considering how dominant he was typically you don't see somebody be that dominant and dominant and say hey let me add some pounds or whatever the case may be. So, you know, Doug Marone talked about that, actually, that he added some weight. Uh, and he's a guy that, you know, the guy disguised the, the limit for him. You know, like Nick said, he's seen double teams in the past at Kentucky because I can't remember nobody else on that defense alongside of him. And, you know, he still managed to find himself. And maybe that's why he even fell to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe teams were looking too much into that, the whole double team aspect of the thing and, you know, how he fared against that and look the Jaguars struck a gold mine with them and you know i guess if that's the case we're appreciative of him but uh that being said man I, yeah i really think josh allen is, is headed towards a good season still but now i don't know if he can hit that 16 sack mark now with, with the guys missing but you know i said it now and i got to stick by my guns well
1: it's still better than the one that i made which I, I i won't get into here um well actually you gave me a mulligan so i gotta think of a new one uh, before the season starts um, but yeah those are of course uh, you know those are just some standouts and some some specific areas of the team that we wanted to point out and discuss with you guys that have uh, of course that are we're very very excited about and have also popped in terms of training camp um, before we wrap up here though guys we do want to get into this uh, report uh, that is now going around of course with uh, after the release of Leonard fournette you know a lot of national pundits are just kind of worrying or wondering what the direction of this team is and, you know, hashtag tank for Trevor is out there. Of course, pertaining to Trevor Lawrence, you know, we've seen a lot of things similarly in the past, agree, you know, tank for Tua just as recently as last year. And I think the three of us will all agree that as far as an organizational thing tanking, we're not sure where the organizations may stand, but in terms of coaching staffs, as well as locker rooms, they're not going to buy into something like that. They don't care about who's going to come into the locker room next season and potentially be a savior for a franchise that they may not even be around for in the years to come. So there is now a report coming out that, of course, the Jaguars have a lot of draft capital, right, in the first two rounds, four picks in rounds one and two. And, uh, of course, the name Trevor Lawrence is going to come up with the Jaguars because a lot of people think the team's not going to be very good. The report is now stating that the Jaguars may have interest in bringing in his head coach, Dabo Swinney, along with Trevor Lawrence as a package deal. How do you guys feel about that? Nick, I really want to know what you feel about this. We talked about it a little bit before we got going, but you know, regardless of where this report is coming from, it is out there. So what do you think first and foremost about, you know, some of these reports that we may get a package deal here in the future between Trevor Lawrence and Dabo? So I
2: guess I'll I'll address them point by point. The first is, you know, obviously when you're you don't have high expectations on a season and stuff, everybody's kind of looking to the future. So, you know, people getting pumped up about the possibility of a Trevor Lawrence, you know, is understandable, no doubt. And I think he's definitely a lock to go. Number one, I think he's a generational type quarterback, uh, you know, probably the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, at least. Um, you know, I'd, I'd really have to sit down and think about it. But he's up there on an elite an elite of the elite uh, in terms of prospects are concerned. Uh, but. You know, uh, it's just I hate hearing anything about tanking in the NFL because it's never going to happen. You know, these are guys, you know, and one thing I kind of wanted to just say about this too is, you know, everybody's kind of counting the Jags out the season. And, and one thing I've always been a firm believer in is just, like I said, I talk, talked touched on this earlier, uh, just the margin of error. There's not much separating 12 and 4 and 4 and 12 teams in the NFL. All these guys are super high-level athletes of, you know, the elite of the elite ultra competitive so you're not going to get a room of 54 guys um, to tank for a season Uh, they put too much into it their careers are too short Um, it's a business everybody's looking to win that's job security in the NFL is winning so you're never going to get a front office to tank you're never going to get a coach to tank you're never going to get players to tank it's not the NBA where you know half the season you know you're not competitive and then you put in all the rookies and guys go on the IR and and all this stuff where the games so where that game is so truly dominated by superstars, you know, you either have a guy or you don't kind of in that league. So it makes a lot more sense. It's easier to control, but it's never going to happen in the NFL. You saw what happened with the Dolphins. Everybody thought they were tanking um, and they were one of the best coached hardest playing week in week out football teams. One of the hardest outs every week. Um, you know, they, they won more games than people thought. And they were a couple plays away from winning a lot more games. Um, so you know this could really uh, this negative negativity that's out there in the national landscape with the Jags could really be positive for this group. Um, you got a young guy who doesn't care about expectations, doesn't care. You know people have written him off his whole career, um, and that's the leader of the football team. So you know maybe they take this narrative and you know and and surprise a lot of people. I don't think you play in an ultra tough division. Um, you know I don't think any of the division games are unwinnable. So I think that puts you right in the mix. I don't think by all means that it's written in stone that the Jags are going to be terrible um, and you guys are looking at the number one pick. I don't think that's set in the stone. And I think anybody who tries to tell you it is, you know that's nuts uh, in this league especially. So if we get to the time where we're 0-7 or something like that and we're really starting to think about the number one pick, we can you guys can have him back on and we'll talk a lot more about Trevor Lawrence. Um, but now I'll kind of move on to the Dabo Sweeney thing there isn't a guy out there that has more of an impact on my career or that I look to as more of an inspiration for, uh, who I try to be as a coach in Dabo. So it's a guy I'm ultimate, you know, I'm super familiar with. Um, I'm following him, you know, his whole career. I've had the opportunity to meet with him and work with him a bunch, uh, at camps and clinics and things like that. So our paths have crossed. So I feel like I have a pretty good vibe for this guy. Um, and I cannot see, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you his words to explain my rationale. You know, he he always says this is a relationship business um, and that this game all ultimately boils down to in our profession boils down to the relationships we build with people. Um, and I think he has too much of a passion for what he does currently to get into the business, the ultimate business of pro football. Um, I think he loves that relationship business. I think he loves um, molding young men to not just successful athletes who go on to good futures in the NFL, but also to men who excel as fathers and family members and and all that stuff. And I think that's truly where his passion lies. So him going to any NFL team, whether it be the Jags or anybody else, would be a huge shocker to me. Um, you know, one one aspect of this not many people maybe would consider um, or have seen, you know, I've seen a lot of articles and tweets about this whole topic, but I haven't seen anybody take this angle on it. Um, You know, he actually, despite them taking jabs back and forth with each other in the media during their 10 years together, he's actually got a pretty good close relationship with Steve Spurrier, who obviously had, you know, 20 years ago was was in a similar position. He was the hottest young coach in college football. Everybody wanted to know if it would work in the NFL. And, you know, he chased it, and obviously the results weren't great. And I think if you ask him to do it all over again, he probably wouldn't. So I wouldn't be surprised if – in situations where his name has been mentioned for NFL jobs, coach when he hasn't leaned on a guy like coach Spurrier to ask exactly what it is. And I think the big difference, like I said, you know, we, I coach college football too, obviously at a much smaller level than Clemson, but uh, you know, we're dealing with kids still. I mean, they're 18, they're legally adults or whatever, but they're, they're kids. And, you know, we're taking them and we're developing them into young men. And like I said, I think that's where his heart and where his passion really lies. And I just couldn't see him giving that up, especially with such a good position he has at Clemson. I mean, he he'll be a god there you know not to you know that's probably poor phrasing but he is you know he's probably the most popular figure in the history of that city and will be you know he'll be a legend there'll be a, stat, a statue with his name outside the stadium forever so i just can't see him giving that up to go to you know in an, an NFL gig, just from a culture standpoint, from a personality fit standpoint, I think he's really, you know, just happy where he is. He's got kids on the team still. Um, he's got the, one of the best staffs, if arguably not the best staff in college football, who have all been together for a long time. Something you never see in this business, especially at upper high level of college football. You never see staff continuity, everybody's always leaving for the next job, and but they have a tight knit group. And man, it's a family up there, and I just cannot see, like I said, that happening. So, if it happens, Count count me as surprised as anybody. So I think that would be – I think it would be a a great hire for the Jags. Obviously, I believe in the guy, but the long
0: shot of long shots is how I would summarize the whole reports of it. Yeah, yeah, it's funny uh, you you mentioned the part about, like, how they're a close-knit group in that staff. Because if I can recall, like, him and Brent Venables – is it Venables? They've been together forever. And it seems like you always hear Venables' name pop up to go to the next college opening. And he just remains there for years and years and years. If I can recall this correctly. Yeah, those two are, those two are they're, they're really
2: close. You know, they've been coached together for about, I think this is like coach, coach Venables, like eighth or ninth year at Clemson. I think Coach Swinney had a DC for like two seasons before. He's been the head coach at Clemson. This will be his tenth year. So I think he had one DC previous, and then it's been about seven or eight years with Coach Venables. And they're really close. Their kids went to the same high school. They all played at Daniel High School in, in, in South Carolina. So they're all on the high school team. Both of Venable's sons are now on the roster at Clemson. One's a DB, one's a linebacker. Um, so I wouldn't expect him to leave for a while. Like you said, I mean, even in their offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Tony Elliott, you know, they had had co-offensive coordinators for a long time, ever since Chad Morris left to take the SMU job. It had been him and Coach Scott, two guys who had been on staff the entire time Coach Sweeney had been a head coach. Um, and Coach Jeff Scott just left to take the USF job. But until then, you know those guys had been intact literally
0: throughout Sweeney's entire career um it's just such a tight-knit family it's different there for sure so yeah when you when you say that you bring up a good point like that's the first thing as a coach or as an owner you look at when you come into the NFL the owner Shad Khan in this case is going to say okay who you're going to bring with you on his staff or should I say the GM the GM on a grander scale is going to look at that so if he you know if Davo wants to come to the league or you know it's it's a con- if he's considering it, or they even offer him an opportunity to come into the league. Once he has that conversation with the GM and says Brent-, Brent Venables isn't coming with me, um, you know, Coach Elliott isn't coming with me, then you know you have to wonder, like, uh, this probably ain't the re- direction to go because you know the NFL, like you said too, on the NFL level, it's about relationships and building a a um foundation and building the coaching staff as well. Like every time we look at a new a team getting a new coaching staff you know the big news is okay yeah the washington football team has ron rivera but instantaneously as soon as he signs that paper the next big thing becomes okay who's gonna be the quarterback coach okay who's gonna be the offensive coordinator okay who's gonna be the defensive coordinator so you know with that with them being so tight-knit and uh so entrenched in the college realm and entrenched in clemson you would have to think that Shad Khan wouldn't even go in that direction. And it's nothing that in, it, that shows me that I've seen in shot Khan's history uh, that would say that he's interested in bringing coaches from the college level anyway. But I mean, he's look, he's only had to do this. What two times he, he got Gus Bradley and he, uh, he fired Gus Bradley. And then they just basically uh, they moved Marone up who was an offensive coach at the time. So, you know, he's only had to do this two times, but nothing in his history has said that he's looked to the college ranks in these type of situations where he's looking for a coach. So, yeah, I just think that's just, i to be honest with you, I think that's a crazy report, just as you do, Nick. Not, and not not even for the same reasons, but you did shed some light and some perspective on that, that that makes it even crazier to believe that he would come when you see how entrenched he is into the college community. So that being said, now, Like you said, now, you know, and I gave you a nice,
2: I gave you a nice, good professional answer for it. Now, if I, you know, if I wasn't such an upstanding gentleman on this as a guest, I might have done something like take a shot and just said a simple, no, he's not leaving Clemson to go be the Jags coach because he's got a better team already. But, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't go that route. I just wanted to put it out there that I did not go that route, guys.
0: Yeah, a normal guest would have. They would have threw that jab in there like, <laughs> why would why would he leave a, a college empire, a college dynasty to come to Jacksonville? Which, I mean, look, me and Phil probably won't give them that much fight because they probably make a good point, you know, like just <laughs> not being biased here. Yeah, like that, that being said in terms of, like you said, with the, the, the projections, man, like people... I don't even with them losing all of the depth that they've lost. I talked about losing Gunter. I talked about losing Woods. It's just hard to envision the Jags being there for the number one or number two pick. You know, they just they they're the type of team that they'll probably end up being some teams they shouldn't, although they're not better than those teams. So you always have to take that into equation. Uh, you know, the only way I can really see them getting three wins or less is, you know, and God forbid we're gonna knock on wood. This happens to no team and not them either. But if some you know, COVID affects the season to a large degree, then you know, maybe you could see where they could get a register or a three win total or less or something like that. But, you know, again, like we don't we don't want that to happen. And they've done a good job in their defense. The NFL, surprisingly, has done a good job with monitoring COVID and uh you know uh, uh, keeping it from going widespread but i guess we'll know exactly how effective they are with that when the season goes on we'll see but that's another story for another time but yeah i don't i don't see them being able to get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields because they lost the amount of games they probably if if they need those guys they're probably going to have to trade up for either one and you know that being said like i said like one thing i've also considered here is you got to look at that um You got to look at that Rams pick, man. I know the Rams aren't projected to be as bad as the Jacksonville Jaguars. But what I'm saying is depending on how low in the pecking order that pick is, that could, you know, that could really help them get up there if they need to do it. Because, like I said, simply put, I don't feel like they're going to be that bad. And, you know, that Rams pick is going to be a a key equation to this or key factor into this. We'll see what they do. But I don't think that one thing about the Rams, I don't think they're gonna be as good as people think they are either. They're not gonna be worse than the Jags, but I think that pick is gonna be 15-ish or 10-ish, to be honest with you, because they, they're losing stuff and they, you know, they don't have cap space and they don't have draft picks to get better or first round draft picks to get better. So that's a mess in itself, but that's digressing from the point. Uh but yeah, don't see them being able to get Lawrence from what they do on the field. If it happens. Or feels what they're gonna have to do is he probably trade up and people might as well get that in their head right now. Is if it happens, we're gonna have to package some picks up and sell the bank, basically. <laughs> so that's where I'm at on it. And but one thing that's always kind of confused me, just I think we've talked about this
2: a bunch of times since I've been when I've been on, but I'm not ready to just give up on Gardner Minshew yet either. I mean, everybody's just like it's a foregone conclusion that the Jags will be drafting a quarterback um this coming year. Um, There's rumors of them maybe taking one this year. I mean, I think the guy for a rookie in a tough spot, I mean, w- with a lot of mess around him organizationally. I mean, I think he was a blown right spot in a lot of games that I watched. So I don't, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy, you know, plays well again. I mean, I don't, I think my, I think I'm higher on Minshew than a lot of, you know, just, just from what I perceive as the normal Jacksonville fan base from what I read online and everything like that. So not, not ready to just totally give up hope on him either.
1: I would say that during the season, of course, everyone is riding high on Minshew mania. I think now that the expectations of the team are very much so tempered that it's getting a little bit closer to Jay and correct me if I'm wrong, if you feel differently, I would say it's probably pretty close to 50 50 in terms of people being okay with riding on Minshew and going forward with him to also the fans that are just ready to bring in a guy like Trevor Lawrence because of what everybody is saying Nick included he is the best quarterback prospect we have seen come around since Andrew Luck so and Jay you've said this before if Gardner Minshew is not at least a top 12 quarterback then you probably are okay with them pulling the trigger on a guy like Trevor correct
0: right you're right they're about 50 50 on it I think like we're it may be wavering a little bit more in one direction than the others. Now that they're just losing so much that, and when I say losing so much, they lost Leonard Fournette, they lost uh, They, you know, they lost Gunter and woods. Yeah. It just feels like a total rebuild top Mm -hmm. to bottom. Yeah. Right. And that's why some people are like that. That may have been high on Minshew are like, Ooh, I don't know if he can survive this, you know, like they, they're kind of skeptical, but it's about 50, 50. Although, you know, like I said, it's, it's kind of wavering in another direction, maybe 48, uh, 48 to 49 now. But that being said, though, man, like, yeah, like Nick said, I agree, man. Like, you know, I'm skeptical. Don't get me wrong, skeptical on Gardner issue, but I'm not ready to throw my hat uh, in this bid for him just being bad. I think the kid has potential and he has talent. And, and what I especially think could help him is he has Jay Gruden now. And Jay Gruden, and I've said this in the past, Jay Gruden's history with young quarterbacks is good. I mean, Andy Dalton went to the playoffs three times with uh, Jay Gruden with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Kirk Cousins didn't exactly look bad with him when he went to the Washington football team. So Jay Gruden has shown the ability to work with these young guys. And I think, you know, I don't think the Jaguars have had a coordinator as good as Jay Gruden, too, in a long time. John D. Filippo, who I was admittedly high on, uh, I think Jay Gruden is better than him, you know, and John D. Filippo is now gone because, you know, he didn't meet expectations. But, yeah, you look at the line of coordinators, Jed Fish, uh, Greg Olson, you know, th- none of them are on the level of appreciate Gruden. if you stop bringing up these names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, my God, it's rough. But, yeah, man, like, don't discount Gardner Minshew. And don't do it, especially because not only his ability, but what Jay Gruden has shown he can be able to do offensively. And like we said, this young receivers group is only going to help him. We feel like, you know, like right now looking at it from training camp. So, yeah, don't, don't count him out yet. I think that what the
1: difficult part is, which made it harder than with Blake Bortles is, and not to say that Blake didn't care, but sometimes he gave off that appearance of that he he did not. Whereas with Gardner, we can tell that we are getting his full commitment to the team because I think he's very much so aware of the opportunity that he has been given. He knows this year is very important for him because you don't think he knows that Trevor Lawrence is sitting out there waiting to be drafted. Justin Fields, you know, all these guys, he knows. I mean, he's. I'm sure he's very much aware that there are people in the fan base clamoring for a guy like a Trevor Lawrence. So that being said, guys, I mean, and I guess the last question I'll ask both of you is, I mean, is this even something if, if like a package deal kind of thing? I mean, that's not something that's really ever happened before. Right. And I mean, as far as bringing in this top rated quarterback and then also bringing their coach in, that's never happened. Right.
0: Well, something along the lines of that, this ain't exactly the same scenario. But what people are basing this off of is probably Cliff Kingsbury and uh murray kyle murray. but the thing is kyle murray worked with kingsbury if i'm not mistaken it was either at oklahoma or at texas tech that they were but they you know that wasn't it wasn't uh correct me if i'm wrong nick like where did that relationship like kick in just were just recruiting uh
2: you know he texas tech was recruiting him when uh he was coming up and then when uh he transferred from texas a m you know, I'm sure he took another run at him trying to get him in as a transfer, too, before he ultimately ended up at
0: Oklahoma. So Right, right. That that was it. That's it. Exactly. It was recruiting. And then everybody saw the interview where Cliff Kingsbury said, uh, I would take Kyler Murray. He was just thinking in hypotheticals. I'll take Kyler Murray first overall, or I believe he should be a first overall pick. And lo and behold, he ended up getting him, you know, so. Uh, that's a whole nother story for another time. But people see that story and think of similar scenarios and they think like, you know, if we got uh, Trevor Lawrence, you know, maybe that will lure in Dabo. But as Nick has alluded to and has informed us on is that Dabo and that group is so entrenched in Clemson and college football that it don't work that way. You know, when Trevor Lawrence is gone, chances are Trevor Lawrence isn't coming in the package deal with his coach. Uh, and, you know, I, I mean, everybody will probably call me crazy for this, but, I mean, there's a, there's
2: 20 other players I can tell you, you would have said the same thing. I don't think it's a 100% foregone conclusion Trevor Lawrence has done at Clemson after the season, especially with we don't know what happens this season. Or, you know, we've seen some of these guys who are the surefire number one picks kind of play their cards close to their vest. And if, uh, if there's a situation at number one that they don't want to be a part of, you know, nobody thought ETN was coming back for his senior year. Nobody thought, you know, uh, Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence were coming back for their senior years. And they did. And, you know, if there's any place in the country that people have come back when you didn't expect them to, it's Clemson. So I would say the odds are super low. Now don't get me, don't get me wrong, but I mean, I just, you know, there are a lot of variables to play out. I, I don't think you ever want to put your eggs in a what if basket, especially at night in the, in the business of the NFL. You know,
1: All Right. Yeah. It's, Man, it's definitely going to be interesting. We're, we're certainly not, um, this, all this talk is definitely not going away anytime soon, but it's good to see, uh, good to hear where you guys stand on that. All right, guys. Well, those are the primary topics that we wanted to get into here. Uh, you know, Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Really quick, though, before we get out of here, there is one more thing I want to address with, with you here. Uh, last time we spoke, you made a very controversial statement uh, to Jay and I. Uh, regarding one all elite wrestling okay and i'm 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 oh, taking man, it off it here okay since the last time that we've spoken have you gotten a chance to watch any AEW since the last time we spoke
2: uh zero seconds of AEW product have been consumed by your boy nictris zero i have seen some clips i see they got the guy who keeps his hands in his pockets gimmick that's pretty cool i guess if you're into that sort of thing and you know, hey, you know, uh, as a guy who grew up loving pro wrestling, I ain't
1: hating on nobody who likes it. But uh, that's just not my cup of tea, sir. OK, listen, we don't disrespect Orange Cassidy around here. Jay, you're going to have to take this over for a second.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. We got much love over here for Orange Cassidy. Me and Phil were sitting out there looking at Orange Cassidy shirts to talk about something. Should we go to, uh, what was it? Uh the store in the mall. I forgot which whoever. Yeah, they got like Orange Cassidy exclusive shirts, man. But I mean, look, man, not to even get into wrestling life, like Nick said, you know, this is a whole different podcast. But uh dude, man, I love seeing that guy get over, man. The win over Chris Jericho and and what have you, man. He's got an interesting career ahead of him. And like, I mean, everybody know I'm a fan and Phil is a fan, but uh yeah, heading forward, I'm definitely gonna be watching that situation.
1: Listen, I'm, all I'm saying is this Saturday at All Out, Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy in a Mimosa Mayhem match where the loser will be thrown into a tank of mimosas, also invented by the wrestling god, Chris Jericho.
2: <laughs> There's a lot of things I thought we were going to talk about on this podcast today. I did not think hands-in-his-pocket wrestler was going to be one of them. Or a
0: Mimosa match.
1: <laughs> mimosa Mayhem match. Listen, Chris Jericho, he is, uh, like you said, he is... He's uh, many things and aware of a lot of different hats, but I just wanted to address that. But uh, Nick, again, thank you so much for, for joining us one more time. Let everybody know where they can find your work, including the podcast and really anything else that you'd like to speak about before we get out of here.
2: Yeah, no problem, man. I really appreciate you guys having me on. I'm sure we'll do this in the future. Uh, I've been doing kind of the run of a couple of Believe shows. I did the Believe in the Georgia Dogs podcast last week, and I got a couple more lined up uh, in the near future. So just trying to do a little, cross promotion on the network which is great you guys should all check out the you know the the lineup of shows the believe network has The guys at the main offices have always been a great help to me you know it, our, the partnership of believe probably wouldn't have been possible without you guys connection so i appreciate that and uh you know if you want to connect with me my twitter is at coach trist and my show is believe in the game plan that's all one word and if you want to follow the show on twitter it's believe b-l-e-a-v uh, underscore game plan again all one word so you can find everything there. Uh, one episode a week comes out every Wednesday at about four thirty, five o'clock.
1: All right. So as, as you heard, I'm doing sure you check that out. And Jay, what do they have to look forward to over here, of course, on Believe in the Jaguars and over on the Jaguars Wire?
0: Yeah, like we said in yesterday's uh, impromptu episode about Yan and uh, Fournette, look forward to uh, all of the know the stuff leading into the regular season now because the bulk of training camp is over with the hardest part is over with so it's not necessarily a lot to cover training camp wise but you know we'll still dabble into that uh we'll especially shift focus to now is probably molding the 53 man roster although i think they should keep 80 players with how things are going covid wise but that's another story for another time but we'll look into like evaluations on the roster who will make the roster so on and so forth. And then, you know, we'll start preparing for the Indianapolis Colts next week, which, you know, it's going to be, regardless of what happens in the season, me and Phil are finally ready to start talking regular season football uh, because that makes our jobs easier because there's football on every week at that point, and we don't have to come up with impromptu stuff, you know what I'm saying, and then do scripts and so on and so forth. Then again, access in two more weeks, we'll probably be mad as hell about the results and how bad the Jaguars have gotten beaten. And we already over the season at that point. So you, you never know with us. We, we're bipolar. But <laughs> uh, that being said, that's what you guys got to look for on the Jaguars Wire and Believe in the Jets podcast. That's right, guys. Jacksonville Jaguars off-season
1: champions, and our season is about to end, and the real one is about to begin. So, again, guys, remember, you can find Believe in the Jaguars and Believe in the Game Plan anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, which includes Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Make sure you head over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show and subscribe. Uh, You can also find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is over at Sportsgrind underscore Don, and you can tweet the show at Believe in Jags Pod. Thank you guys so much for joining us. You guys stay safe, stay healthy out there. This This has been Believe in the Jaguars on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We'll see you next time, you guys.
2: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for
0: B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.